All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Thursday, which means we are digging deeper into the Psalms. This week, we look at Psalms 81 through 83 to see God's justice on display. Now, as we start with Psalm 81, the superscription has one of these tunes that is used on a couple of the Psalms. But remember, a lot of the superscriptions don't even have the tune names on them. But this one is Giddeth, and it's listed for the tune for Psalm 8. O Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That one by David. For Psalm 81 by Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. And then one of next week's from the Psalms of Kor- Sons of Korah, Psalm 84 how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord? All of them have this idea of being from Giddeth, which, at our best guess, has something to do with the Philistine city of Gath. But that's as close as we get to anything here, as to something permanent. But that can make sense with Psalm 8, if that was somewhere around the time of David defeating Goliath who was from Gath. Is Asaph wanting something like that in Psalm 81? Well, let's find out. Psalm 81, to the choir master, according to the Giddeth of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went over, out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. So far, Psalm 81. So this is definitely a psalm for rejoicing, as especially in the first three verses, Asaph calls for all kinds of instruments to come forth in the praise of God. And why do we praise God? Well, he starts off in verse 5, going through the exodus and deliverance of Israel from slavery. Therefore, God can say in verse 10, as he says over and over again throughout the Old Testament, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Asaph stops here, but we go on, out of the house of slavery. That's the beginning of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. It is many times where God wants to bring his people back to a knowledge of who he is and why he deserves their prayer, 
praise and thanks. Because this is what it all boils down to. At the time of this psalm, there was strange gods. The Israelites were bowing down to foreign gods because Solomon had started that by building altars and temples to the gods of his pagan wives. So verses 9 and 10 again, There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's the first commandment right there. You shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But that's not what the Israelites are doing. They're judging everything to be an acceptable substitute or helper for God. But God doesn't need a helper to save you. God does it all by himself. And he begs his people to listen to him, to return to him in repentance and to be what he has called them to be. But they refuse. So in verse 12, he says, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Paul picks up this idea in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, yes, Paul is specifically bringing out homosexuality here. But that is just one of the many things that comes about when God turns us over to our stubborn hearts, to our impurities, to dishonoring ourselves because we have traded in the truth of the Creator for a lie. That is the problem with idolatry. That is the problem with the world today, is that everybody has a different God, and usually they're the one staring back at them in the mirror. That's the one that gets them in the most trouble. And that is what God is seeking to redeem His people from in Psalm 81. And we see how this takes effect in the heavenly realms in Psalm 82. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. 
So far, Psalm 82. God takes his place in the council of the gods, which, I mean, really is an empty room, right? Because he is the only true God. So the question is asked, does God truly judge unjustly? Or is it our sinful pride that distorts his judgment? Well, we know God works all things for good for those who love him and who keep his commandments. So God truly doesn't judge unjustly. There are times it seems like it to us that he has put us in places that we can't possibly get out of. But truly, if we look at it from an outside perspective, 99 times out of 100, we're the ones who put ourselves in that position. So who's the one that's unjust? It's us blaming God for the problems we create. Verse 5 parallels over into Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Asaph says, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Hosea says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. What happens when our unjustness makes us the gods that we wish we had? God leaves us alone. And that is truly the definition of hell, where we are outside of the presence of God. The only place where God is not present because he is not present there for us. He is not present in hell for you. He's present for your punishment if you were there. In verses 6 and 7, he brings about that, I said you are gods. Jesus brings this back out. But not gods in the way that the mythologies put it and have us somewhere up there in the hierarchy as to being partially like God with all sorts of powers. But we are considered gods through the adoption that God has made us his sons. Sons of God. Therefore, he can call us gods with a little g. But, he reminds us, like men you will die. God exalts the humble. He levels the proud, raising them to the ground, shaking the foundations out from under them so that they realize that he truly is the one true God and that we simply are here as his creatures, but we can rejoice in that because we know his love for us. So we can say, at the end, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And what happens to the sons when God inherits all the nations? It all comes to us. Not necessarily in this world, but in the world to come, the life everlasting, absolutely. Jesus says anybody who has left father or mother or brother or sister or house or home, wife and children, will receive a hundredfold back in this life and in the life to come. The great promises of what we sacrifice here are multiplied greatly 
beyond our wildest imagination in the life to come. But again, we get impatient. So we start out like Psalm 83. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, oh God. Act now. As you remember from the old infomercials, if you had those nights where you couldn't sleep and you're just flipping through the channels, act now and we'll knock down one of the five payments down to four payments of $19.95 apiece. This is what we want. We want God to act now. We want God to learn on our time frame. But that means that we are in charge of God then. And that's not the way it goes. But let's see what Psalm 83 has to say for us. It's a song, a psalm of Asaph. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeev, all the princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. O my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So far, Psalm 83. Here we have again, God being in the place where judgment can happen. The very same thing that we asked for at the end of Psalm 82, we repeat it again in 83. And we say we want God to not be silent because God's silence is the worst judgment possible. We think back to Psalm 22 that Jesus prays on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? That silence from God is never a good thing. And so we have this listing of of God's enemies in verses 5 through 8. Basically, everybody that Israel has ever had war with all now coming together, banding together to fight against them one more time. And this is what sin does to us. It brings everything that can possibly gather together up against us to block us from doing what God would have us to do, to block us from having God's blessings. And we crumble Many times, because it just seems to be too much. We get through all the list of the enemies in verses 5 through 8, and we're just crushed. But Asaph goes on in verses 9 through 12. 
Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin, who were destroyed at Endor. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zamuna. God, do to them what you've done to all of your enemies throughout history. Wipe them out. So they cause us no more problems. Because that's exactly what God's deliverance does. It brings us out of the trouble, brings us into his blessings, so that we may rejoice in them. In verses 13 through 18, the rest of the psalm, Asaph calls upon God to work with his fallen creation as he desires to do. Make all your enemies dust and ash, he wants to cry out, but save your people. Be kind to the house of Jacob. Let those be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace. Why? So that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. God brings about this psalm from Asaph not only to pray against the enemies, but to pray for all the people. That even the enemies may come to a knowledge that there is only one God. And that is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. The God who became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross to forgive us our sins, who rose from the dead to open the gates of heaven. This is the one God that everyone should know. This is the God who holds eternity in his hands for you and for me. This can fill you with dread or this can fill you with hope. Are you one in the list of the enemies? Or are you one who has been adopted through baptism and have been called a God, little g, because you are a son or daughter of God? That brings you great comfort. Being on the enemy's side brings you great dread. And I pray that everyone listening is on the side of those who have been called by God through baptism to be sons and daughters of the Most High. And that will do it for our Digging Deeper this week. Next week, we will go through Psalms 84 through 88 as we get ready to get into some of the harder-hitting psalms over the next couple of months as we get into the 90s and especially the 100s. There are some very lengthy psalms coming up, not only because there are so many verses, but there's so much stuff to dig into. And that... We will enjoy doing because that's what we've been doing all through Psalms. The first 83 so far, we've enjoyed digging into them. We'll enjoy digging in to the last 67 as they come to us. But until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for digging deeper with me, asking you to be here next week so I may help you dig deeper into the Psalms once again to help equip you to wrestle with the theologies around you today and always. Amen.